welcome to another edition of the Pink Sheets Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined by executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. Today is April 29th, 2022, and it's a little lonelier than usual in our virtual studio today, but we still have plenty of news to talk about. First up is new developments in the race to authorize a COVID-19 vaccine for young children. Moderna announced April 28th that the, vaccine, that the company had submitted an, an emergency use authorization request for its vaccine for children six months to less than six years old. That excited parents of children in the la- now the last major group that doesn't have access to a vaccine. But you know, then the company clarified that the submission had just been initiated and that the final components would not be submitted until next week. Either way, this is still a big deal, though. But uh, like the rival mRNA vaccine from Pfizer, questions still remain about Moderna's vaccine in these age groups. Moderna met its immunobridging endpoint with its two-dose regimen, but efficacy was 51% in children six months to less than two years old and 37% in children aged two to five. But the studies... um, the studies were done during the Omicron wave, and vaccine ex- estimates were still much lower than what had been seen in adults. But the companies said that there were no cases of severe disease or death and that safety was good. Matt, the, the Moderna wants us to consider the totality of the data in all of this. Uh, you know, do, do you think the, the FDA is going to agree with with that? Uh, you know, I don't know if what you, I don't know how you want to characterize that, that way of method of thinking? <laughs> well, it, it seems like FDA could certainly find reasons to uh, turn this application uh, away, or I guess, uh, you know, uh, reject it, I suppose. They'll probably uh, uh, file it if uh, filing is, in fact, a thing for an EUA. I don't know what that is. But, um, you know, I, I think that this uh, guidance that's sort of kind of, you know, we've written about a, a bunch that says that, uh, um, you know, you need a 50 percent uh, Efficacy threshold was uh, something that uh, um, FDA wrote, uh, you know, in the first year of the pandemic, and was widely seen as we're kind of trying to uh, prevent uh, political interference in, uh, um, you know, vaccine decision making. Uh, you know, it was sort of the, the first time that uh, FDA had given a hard number on uh, um, on something like that for any product, uh, you know, a vaccine or a, a treatment for uh, um, for anything, not just in an emergency uh, um, situation. So. Uh, um, they are, of course, not bound by guidance, and uh, you know the uh, thinking about sort of kind of what the utility of a uh, vaccine might be has changed a bunch now that uh, uh, we're sort of well into uh, the pandemic, perhaps uh, you know past uh, pandemic uh, status uh, um, itself. Even uh, you know they'll, they'll uh, uh, perhaps talk about the debate between uh, you know whether we're uh, um, in endemic now or uh, just past the acute phase of the pandemic. I'm not quite sure uh, um, how to distinguish those things, but uh, Anthony uh, um, uh, Fauci uh, uh, thinks he can, so uh, um, perhaps it's worth considering. But, uh, um, you know, the uh, um, the idea that they didn't sort of meet this uh, um, number that was in a guidance, uh, I don't think uh, means that the, the uh, um, product won't get cleared. It's, uh, um, uh, as with everything else with uh, um FDA, uh, they um, they do look at the uh, totality of uh, um, of evidence, and uh, um, you know even if a product did meet that uh, a number, but had uh, had sort of profound safety risks or uh, um, some other uh, um, significant shortcoming, uh, FDA wouldn't think that oh well, it, uh, you know met met this one criteria, we have to go forward with it. And uh, in the same way, it 
it it didn't sort of perhaps meet the uh, the biggest criteria that FDA has laid out for uh, these uh, products, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, um, not going to get uh, get in people's arms. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up the guidance because the guidance, I think the I think the the general feeling around it was to prevent a situation like this from happening where <laughs> we have well i mean I, i'm not i'm not i'm not being flipped i guess i'm being flipped a- anyway but the the th- the thinking was if we set the 50 percent threshold then we won't be stuck in a situation where we have a vaccine that's like 37 percent say and we're and the fda is stuck deciding do we say this is not worth giving to people because, you know, or do we approve, do we, are we stuck having to approve it knowing it may, you know, it's not going to be as effective as we want it to be. So, you know, luckily we never, early in the pandemic, we weren't stuck in that, with that problem because we saw 90, 95, 97% efficacy or 90 plus percent efficacy from the beginning in adults. But, you know, this is the kind of issue that they were, that the guidance was supposed to kind of, you know, to avoid and but i wondered now if the thinking the the thinking around the guidance itself may even change because the 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 goal at least the the cdc advisory um advisory committee on immunization practices was talking about this a couple of weeks ago saying that we're we should be thinking about only preventing severe disease hospitalization and death and not trying to prevent transmission so I wonder if if you can show, like he said, no severe disease, no, you know, no major problems. We, you know, there weren't hospitalizations and so forth. Then even if you your efficacy number isn't as high as you want it to be, maybe that's kind of maybe that becomes kind of the additional piece that you add into this. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Derek. Uh, you know, for the story which we'll post in the uh, show notes. Uh, um, uh, our colleague Sue Sutter had a good talk with uh, Moderna Chief Medical Officer uh, uh, Paul Burton, and that was, uh, um, you know, what uh, um, what his argument uh, was there. Uh, um, you know, you can uh, just look at China and through kind of the uh, the incredible uh, lockdown, citywide lockdown they're uh, they're having to impose now to say that you know a uh, vaccine that's not highly efficacious is perhaps uh, you know not uh, something you should pin your uh, your anti-infection uh, um, strategy on. They, uh, um, they've they not been using mRNA vaccines in uh, China. And um, from what I've seen, their vaccination rate isn't all that high, uh, um, you know, with the, 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 the um, their domestic vaccines either. But, uh, um, you know, here we have a situation not where we're trying, trying to bring the virus under control or sort of kind of uh, get to COVID zero as, uh, um, you know, China or perhaps some of our own COVID hawks are, uh, um, are trying to do. But, uh, you know, it looks like the... Uh, um, the pandemic is, uh, um, you know, not as acute uh, and uh, dangerous as it is, and so perhaps uh, um, uh, products with kind of more marginal uh, um, efficacy can uh, can play a good role. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's an interesting thought, and, and you know, of course, we'll be we'll be following this closely going forward. But you know, you know, as we, you know, as kind of a, you know, everyone's kind of take on this evolves as we, like you said, either we're moving up past the acute phase or into past the pandemic phase or whatever, however we want to characterize it going forward. Um, One thing I wanted to uh, note before we leave this uh, um, uh, topic was I was a little amused by. Uh, 
um, Moderna's phrasing of uh, their submission. We often uh, um, encounter the opposite, where a company will announce something well after it's occurred. You know, uh, um, yes. you're able to calculate. Uh, um, you know, if you want to sort of look at when a product might be approved and launched, you sort of try to calculate the uh, user fee date. And so uh, companies will often sort of kind of uh, not announce uh, on the exact day, or you know, maybe in some situations there were not. Uh, um, uh, uh, getting refused to file uh, or uh, letter or FDA not filing uh, uh, filing the application, so they won't. Uh, they'll say, "Oh, we filed that last quarter," or uh, you know, so the um, uh, or just not announce the date at all. So the the press release announcing the sub- submission isn't in fact the date that it happened. And then and again, this is the case with Moderna, but it's kind of in the opposite direction. The press release announcing the submission is announcing a submission in the future. Um, so uh, um, <laughs> it was just sort of kind of, uh, you know, of all the things that uh, um, the pandemic has upended, this sort of the time on tradition of sort of kind of the uh, the uh, the post hoc uh, submission uh, press release is now sort of kind of the the pre hoc uh, submission release, I suppose. So uh, um, just, uh, I just uh, um, uh, enjoyed that aspect of uh, this uh, condition to be interested in the, the science and everything else. So. Yeah, and and this this next story that we're going to talk about it, it was related to that because there have been a lot of questions, a lot of anger, kind of uproar, complaining about why the FDA hasn't been able to authorize a vaccine for children under the age of five or five and six. Um, despite you know we've been there have been several instances where they where there have been public statements saying, you know, we're closed, we're finishing the trials, but, you know, Pfizer had a um, had a, a, a setback and decided to test a third dose. And then there was kind of nothing for a while. Then there were reports that, you know, it might be it might be now June. And Sieber uh, C- director Peter Marks got asked about it this week by senators during a user fee hearing. And he he said that they were going to publish a list of tentative advisory committee meeting dates on these COVID vaccine applications that were expected to come in, which is unusual, I guess, to say the least for the <laughs> FDA. They usually wait until they get something and then they're pretty well through with the review and then they schedule an advisory committee meeting. <laughs> um, and it's not, a, there's no such thing as a tentative list. It's a, it offic- it's official and it's published in the federal register. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, that that raised a lot of eyebrows, and it turns out today, within an hour, about an hour ago, they actually put the <laughs> list up, um, and like uh, you know, so expect a flurry of meetings in June. There there are several days that are blocked out now for a, a number of vaccines, not just the um, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in children, young children. They also are expecting to have a meeting on the the Novavax vaccine in adults, which. F, you know, based on a tweet that I put out this week, there are a lot of people waiting for the Novartis one to be reviewed. At least it's the, the application's been in house for a while, I think. So, Matt, it looked like the thinking on this was sort of to the the thinking on publishing the tentative list was sort of to kind of calm this anger that the FDA was, you know, taking too long. But uh, you know, by the by the way, there was even a citizen petition filed this week demanding that that the applications be reviewed immediately. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, we, we all had to kind of take a, you know, make a, you know, take a step back because Peter Marks had to tell everybody that they can't review applications that are incomplete, you know, suggesting that 
as much as we would like to review these, we're they're not ready yet. Yeah, absolutely, uh, um, uh, uh, Derek. There's uh, so much going on here. Uh, you know, there was that uh, false start where FDA scheduled a uh, advisory committee for the uh, uh, Pfizer vaccine for kids, uh, the, the two dose uh, regimen that they were hoping to sort of, uh, um, you know. Uh, Get uh, um, get available even as Pfizer was continuing to study uh, three doses, and they pulled the plug very quickly on that. And then now they're uh, they're back to this. And there was that uh, reporting in Politico uh, last week that uh, said that uh, FDA might be trying to hold off on uh, approval of the uh, um, you know the one or other of the vaccines that people thought it was the Moderna uh, vaccine for kids that sort of until they could uh, approve uh, or forgive uh, me authorize them. Uh, both at the same time, and uh, um, you know that seems a it seems a little uh, odd, but of course, uh, uh, to my mind, uh, um, FDA dragged its feet on uh, um, Merck's uh, um, molypinavir, uh, um, uh, and, and then sort of kind of approved it through after uh, uh, Paxlovid, uh, Pfizer's uh, uh, COVID treatment pill that sort of was uh, submitted through kind of well after. Uh, uh, the, the Merck had uh, put in their application. So, uh, you know, sort of strange things do happen and sort of kind of uh, uh, the question of sort of kind of whether the uh, um, EUA is uh, um, complete. Obviously, we talked about that uh, a little bit uh, um, before, but, uh, um, you know, they're absolutely right that they sort of kind of need uh, um, need that application and sort of kind of how uh, persnickety they're being with Moderna sort of kind of, sort of, kind of to uh, um, sort of kind of uh, slow walk this. Uh, uh, we don't know, uh, um, uh, but I've uh, also been quite interested in this uh, um, emergence of uh, um, uh, grassroots activism and uh, in a pro-vaccine uh, um uh, manner, uh, as you were mentioning, there was the citizen petitions, and uh, you know there was the uh, um, uh, CDC advisor committee that uh, 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 Brenda covered for us uh, um, a week uh, or so ago. That sort of kind of had a, uh, um, a very coordinated, it seemed, uh, effort to sort of kind of to uh, to call in and uh, um, you know comment uh, during the uh, public comment uh, period, saying that you know we uh, we want this vaccine to protect our kids. Uh, you know, you, you've you've seen mostly sort of during the pandemic that sort of kind of that. Uh, citizen agitation has sort of been against uh, government action. You know, they don't want the shutdowns. There's people storming uh, state capitals, uh, um, you know, early on to sort of kind of uh, to uh, get the, try and get those orders lifted and sort of kind of truckers now, uh, um, you know, sort of kind of uh, driving around uh, trying to uh, disrupt traffic in the name of uh, disrupting mandates. And, uh, you know, this is sort of kind of perhaps the, uh, the first instance, uh, although you saw a little bit of it, uh, um, you know, uh, um, with the people sort of volunteering for challenge studies uh, early on in the, in the vaccine development, and that didn't go anywhere. Uh, but now you have sort of kind of citizens really sort of kind of uh, pushing uh, FDA to uh, um, to go faster on this stuff, not uh, um, not dial things back like uh, um, you know perhaps uh, uh, we saw people uh, agitating for at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's very interesting to sort of watch how this uh, um, how this goes, and uh, um, you know obviously these uh, applications are moving on a. Uh, very expedited manner. Uh, um, you know, we'll have to sort of bring out the uh, uh, the uh, the rulers and sort of see how uh, how much of a, a gap there was uh, um, with uh, um, you know this uh, this uh, advisory committee compared to uh, um, you know the advisory committees perhaps for the initial uh, vaccines between when they got the application and when they did the review. But uh, yeah, this sort of remains to be seen sort of when those uh, um, uh, submissions are uh, um, are final. But uh, you know, it doesn't seem like FDA is. Uh, um, uh, moving too slowly. It's just sort of kind of a tricky uh, 
area and obviously sort of vaccines are tricky overall because sort of uh, um, you know you're giving them to healthy populations and uh, kids especially who have sort of seen less impacted by uh, um, the uh, um, the virus uh, although I think sort of Omicron has changed that to a uh, um, to some degree so uh, the calculation for FDA may have changed uh, um, based on that but we're kind of uh, that uh, um, to the extent that there are um, you know, side effects with the MRA vaccines that seem to be kind of uh, um, felt more by the uh, uh, younger population, what with the uh, myocarditis, myocarditis, keep forgiving, et cetera. Um, and uh, then to kind of couple that with the idea that they, they may not, uh, you know, work as well in that uh, um, in that population in terms of kind of uh, the efficacy that we want, that it's kind of, it's, it makes it a, a more difficult uh, um, decision for, uh, for FDA to make. And so, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, spending some time and sort of kind of uh, putting the advisory committees sort of kind of uh, where they did seems to seems to make sense. Yeah, there the, one of the things that um, our colleague Sue Sutter asked and um, asked the Moderna um, chief medical officer was about the uptake of the the vaccine in age five to eleven, which was not was not very high, and whether um, you know what what they think how they think it will be this will be received by parents in the younger group. And, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, too, as I am a parent of somebody who's younger than five and, you know, we've been waiting patiently, but of, of course now uh, with the, the current schedule, my child is going to turn five. So before this is, before their, um, you know, potentially these approvals are done so or authorizations are done. So I won't, but, um, you know, I, I, I tend to, I, I'm wondering if, I think that the uptake, or I wonder if the uptake is going to be, uh, you know, a little better than the, than the, in the 5 to 11, just because, like you said, there's been all this noise that, you know, uh, you know, hurry up, you know, we want, we want this vaccine, we need to protect our kids and, you know, and, and so forth. I, uh, I'll be interested to, uh, I honestly uh, doubt that there's going to be much of a, uh, um, an uptick in this, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uptake in this population. Uh, um, you know, I think the pattern will be in, uh, um, uh, you know, certain pockets of the country. Sort of once it's uh, um, available, there's going to be a mad rush, and uh, no one can get uh, appointments for weeks. And then, sort kind of uh, after that, there's going to be a glut of vaccine, like uh, we saw with the uh, adolescent uh, um, uh, authorization, and sort of uh, even for the uh, the Delta um, uh, vaccine itself. So uh, um, I. Uh, um, no, that, that's my prediction. Yeah, it's needless to say, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, this is going to generate a whole lot of interest as we we count down to the days that the, the advisory committee meetings are now tentatively scheduled and whether or not they are tentatively unscheduled uh, going <laughs> forward. Um, but, yeah, well, it, this is these are going to be tough decisions for the FDA. And, you know, of course, we'll be uh, you know, we'll be following them them closely. Next, we're going to revisit another incredibly popular topic on this podcast, the the Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm and Medicare's cover decision for it. While the FDA has been heavily criticized for approving the drug, members of Congress have largely praised this decision. And now they're now those members, a lot of members are going after CMS, which decided to only allow access to the drug if it's in the context of a clinical trial. Republicans seem to be suggesting that if they take the majority in Congress this fall, they could try to undo the decision and make FDA cover it for all patients. So, Matt, do you think the GOP could actually do this if they get a majority in Congress? And would they really want to? 
I, I don't know why they uh, um, why they wouldn't want to. It's a uh, um, uh, you know decision that's for kind of uh, uh, benefits a major constituency of theirs, uh, uh, seniors, and uh, that uh, um, you know, sort of benefits a natural affinity group. Uh, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, you know, obviously you think about sort of kind of the uh, um, Republican brand. Uh, tries to be in some ways a fiscal responsibility and perhaps uh, it doesn't sort of fit into that bucket but uh, I think that's sort of less and less uh, um, sort of what they're uh, um, what they're selling to voters uh, um, these days at least for kind of for the uh, um, uh, for the midterm so uh, um, we'll see uh, um, we'll see what comes of it but there's uh, um, you know it's probably not sort of kind of high on their priority list so uh, um, they would uh, just like everything else in uh, um, in Congress we're going to need a uh, a good vehicle to move it through, and uh, you know, if one presents itself, they uh, um, they might as well uh, um, they might as well do it. But uh, um, I think that uh, um, you know, uh, companies would be wise as we're kind of to uh, plan on this uh, um, uh, being uh, um, something they have to adapt to at least. Uh, um, you know, in the in the in the medium term, we had a story that uh, um, was uh, in our. Uh, uh, morning email uh, um, today actually is we're looking at uh, Lily's hopes we're kind of to uh, um, you know work within the confines of the uh, um, national coverage decision and sort of you know still get sort of very good coverage but sort of kind of uh, you know they were sort of kind of playing by uh, CMS's rules so they don't think that even in the uh, um, the next uh, two years or so that's sort of kind of is going to be undone there sort of kind of uh, going forward with their uh, their plans to uh, to adapt to it but uh, um, it is, I think, sort of kind of the natural tendency to sort of kind of get the uh, government sort of kind of to uh, to uh, play uh, more and more of a role uh, in uh, uh, paying for uh, drugs. You've seen this with uh, Part D. That's obviously a design that uh, um, uh, pharma likes. But uh, um, you know, if there was a way to sort of kind of get uh, Part B uh, to be even more automatic than it uh, already is, uh, I think uh, pharma would. Uh, um, would uh, would jump at that chance to work with the Republicans on on that? Yeah, it yeah, it's interesting that the you know there are already companies talk in that space talking about working within the coverage decision because you know if, if you I mean if if they prove that they can get the coverage they want with within the decision as it stands, then maybe you know maybe it naturally occurs that they you know eventually the the evidence is is uh, gathered that's needed and cms just changes it doesn't have to be forced to do anything they could just do it themselves because they they get everything that they need to to see to you know to make the decision yeah that's uh, um a good uh, uh, a good point if the uh, um if the the decision is sort of going smoothly and there actually is a um an alzheimer's uh, uh products are kind of more widely available uh, you know thanks to uh, um lily or someone else uh, um it makes the uh, um, the argument that sort of kind of uh, um, the uh, the Medicare agencies being sort of unnecessarily stingy uh, harder to uh, um, to gain ground, and uh, you know CMS sort of comes out looking uh, um, prudent uh, um, based on what uh, um, uh, what what shook out with the uh, the subsequent clinical trials. Yeah, and another another kind of interesting thing that's kind of emerged from this kind of you know this new kind of argument. Uh, uh, you know, against CMS is that um, uh, some comments that um, Susan Collins, Senator Susan Collins, made the other day uh, during one of the user fee hearings about how she was she was concerned that CMS seemed to venture outside its remit um, when they were making the decision by citing 
patient safety concerns in the in the as a part of the reason for restricting the coverage. And you know, you wonder if maybe you know some kind of uh, you know legislation emerges to kind of clarify further what CMS does and what FDA does, even though it's you know they they have two different standards for making decisions and they they don't appear to overlap at all. But um, you know, you wonder if something like that could have you know also you know kind of could emerge and um, you know it, that in 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 the vein of these arguments that you know coverage decisions that don't that don't um, you know that are restrictive you know kind of hurt the capital markets that are trying to fund the next generation of alzheimer's treatments and 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 some of these other um you know drugs for these diseases that they just so far haven't been able to find any kind of you know, just there have been a lot of shots on the goal that they haven't hit anything yet so you, you know you 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 wonder if something you know maybe in the policy realm you know in that area kind of pops up too yeah, that whole uh, market uh, development uh, challenge, uh, you know, does seem to have influenced uh, FDA uh, um, in their decision to approve uh, Agihel to show that sort of kind of, uh, you know, work in this space sort of kind of will lead to a uh, commercial product. Obviously, sort of kind of that, uh, um, that is not part of their remit. Uh, they, uh, the FDA needs to focus on, uh, you know, uh, safety and efficacy. Uh, um, but uh, as you were saying, what, one of the things that surprised me in those uh, Comments from senators about sort of kind of what uh, what FDA should look at and what CMS should look at is sort of kind of there is often uh, a comment that's sort of kind of well FDA said it was safe but uh, um, obviously since the uh, the Kefauver amendments uh, um, they uh, um, they're supposed to look at more than uh, um, than safety for a couple more uh, for uh, many decades and now they've sort of also had sort of kind of efficacy as part of their uh, um, uh, instructions to sort of kind of to weigh whether a product should be uh, approved but it was sort of kind of funny to see. Uh, both uh, CMS told that they were uh, um, being too expansive, but uh, um, FDA, uh, um, who was being praised, but were kind of uh, being minimized because they're actually uh, um, supposed to look at more than just safety, uh, despite what uh, um, what the, uh, the senators were saying. Yeah, it's a this whole it, it, this whole uh, you know uh, discussion debate, whatever you want to call it, going forward is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, just to to watch it from the, you know this it's seemingly a new strand kind of every every week or so of, that people find that connect to you know to this decision so uh, it'll be fun to watch going forward finally we're going to look at yet another facet of the opioids epidemic and the fda's role in it the house oversight committee held a hearing this week on apparent conflicts of interest with the consulting firm mckinsey which was doing work for the fda at the same time it was representing opioid manufacturers Lawmakers were concerned that the consulting firm was advising pharma companies at the same time was working with the FDA to modernize its new drugs regulatory program. This has left not only the uh, McKinsey, but also the FDA in an awkward position. Several lawmakers want the agency to make changes to its contracting policies, but uh, Patricia, Patricia Cavazzoni, who's director of the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, had to say or um, said that the agency follows federal contracting rules, which require companies to disclose potential conflicts when they're applying for these contracts. And uh, now it's unclear kind of where the FDA will go from here on, on this contracting issue, um, but uh, legislation's pending that could do it for them. So Matt, where, where do you stand on this? It's just kind of a, this kind of a, I don't wanna say weird, cause that's not the right word, but it is it, just kind of a, I guess, odd situation that kind of the FDA finds itself in here? Well, you know, I was thinking about for kind of what, um, 
FDA was hoping to get when they uh, contracted with McKinsey. And uh, to be honest, they were, uh, I think, uh, you know, perhaps indirectly hoping to get some of these conflicts. I mean, obviously, what uh, McKinsey was bringing to the table was her kind of, you know, expertise and understanding of the uh, the pharmaceutical marketplace in this particular uh, case uh, opioids and the uh, the the way you get that is by uh, you know working in, in in an area that you then have to sort of kind of uh, uh, turn around and sort of perhaps uh, assess differently for a uh, a different actor and uh, you know obviously sure I think sort of kind of uh, you know human nature is such that we sort of can't turn off our own uh, um, our own biases and perspectives and uh, um, uh, that doesn't mean that sort of kind of a uh, um, uh, a company that's for kind of does work for uh, um, you know for uh, one segment of a uh, um, you know the healthcare industry sort of can't or the the, the, the healthcare community can't uh, um, turn around and do work for uh, for another but uh, um, uh, you know in this case it does seem a little sleazy that sort of kind of it was the exact same people that were sort of kind of uh, um, you know sort of uh, advising after you to do one thing while at the uh, the same time uh, advising Purdue for kind of how to uh, um, uh, handle handle the uh, the emerging uh, you know <laughs> regulatory challenges. So uh, um, it uh, um, it is also sort of a human nature to be a little uh, uh, greedy and duplicitous, and perhaps that's uh, um, that's what happened here. Uh, you know the the uh, the um, the shamelessness of the uh, um, the McKinsey uh, um, uh, testimony. Uh, you know to to my ears uh, during this hearing was a, a little hilarious. Like well we thought we had told FDA what we needed to tell them, and uh, you know. Uh, um, all that sort of kind of makes me think that perhaps it wasn't just sort of kind of that, uh, um, you know, conflicts are inherent in uh, um, in sort of kind of uh, the experience of life, and uh, um, you know that you can't uh, um, advise on something you know uh, um, uh, nothing about and haven't uh, um, uh, you know sort of haven't you know developed a perspective on through sort of kind of uh, uh, direct uh, um, direct knowledge, but it was sort of kind of more just sort of kind of that they uh, they saw an opportunity for a contract and didn't. Uh, um, didn't worry about sort of kind of uh, you know perhaps following all these rules here, but uh, you know I think uh, um, you know one of the uh, criticisms that uh, pharma often likes to make of its own critics are kind of that they live in an ivory t- ivory tower and they uh, you know they feel that there is uh, um, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, a uh, um, not appreciation as we're going to how much uh, um, R and D and risk goes into their own uh, actions and uh, um, you know sort of kind of want to uh, Want to change that and to kind of bring in uh, people with sort of kind of actual operational knowledge of the uh, um, the pharmaceutical industry. You're going to sort of kind of actually sort of kind of uh, you know necessarily sort of change your uh, perspective and sort of kind of uh, how do you draw the line between someone who sort of kind of is uh, temperamentally aligned with what the uh, the pharmaceutical uh, um, companies want to do and sort of kind of more directly financially aligned. Uh, um, is a challenge, and I think in this line, in this case, we're going to McKinsey uh, cross it, and uh, um, you know, to uh, that they, they can uh, it can be documented that they really sort of did break some uh, um, some contracting uh, um, uh, rules. They should uh, serve the consequences, whether that's for kind of a uh, you know a, a permanent or a, um, a temporary ban on this kind of work. Uh, you know, that does seem appropriate, but uh, whether or not for kind of the uh, the idea that uh, you can to get a, uh, a both a knowledgeable and unconflicted advisor, I think, uh, remains an open question. Yeah, this this reminds me a lot of FDA's, you know, just general hiring practices when they're looked because they've they've made a point in the last several years that they want people who have industry experience working for them because it helps them better understand how 
the industry works and it helps them become better regulators. So you often hear this, you know, this question, well, or you know, these questions about, well, you know, you're asking somebody to regulate companies that they were working with, you know, up until a few months, you know, a year ago or six months ago, whatever it was. And, you know, you hear it all the time when in, with the commissioner, when the when the new commissioner is is nominated and confirmed. And, and um, you know, we heard it a lot with Scott Gottlieb. We've heard it with others, uh, other nominees, you know, too. Um, you know, how do you how do you regulate an industry that you work in? You worked in for so long and you continue to work in and you're likely to go back to when you're done with, you know, at the FDA. So, uh, you know, it, it's it, it it's an interesting question. It's an interesting balance. Another thing I'm curious about, and Matt, I'm curious what you think of this. Uh, this this idea, uh, I'm wondering if you know the agency's been criticized a lot for its opioid decisions, you know, over the years, and its and its role in kind of how the epidemic, you know, kind of evolved and and escalated. I'm wondering if an investigation like this gives them maybe. A, a tiny bit of kind of I don't I don't want to say cover or maybe you know some kind of something to kind of deflect some of that criticism a little bit just because you know they, they the agencies obviously argued we're doing everything we can we're following our rules you know within our rules and our regulations and and so forth they have all these things going on but I'm wondering if you know an investigation like this kind of it doesn't necessarily get them off the hook but can at least provide them an argument back at critics. Yeah, I don't think uh, any industry critics will be uh, satisfied by the idea of like led <laughs> astray by a uh, heavily conflicted, heavily uh, highly compensated uh, consulting firm. Um, you, you make a great point about uh, um, hiring that is wanted to reiterate. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, people that sort of join uh, um, join FDA sort of kind of have to uh, divest themselves of. Uh, um, other company uh, um, uh, obligations and uh, and the like, and this was obviously for kind of uh, you know, not what happened in the uh, uh, McKinsey case. And so, uh, um, you know, I think you're right that for kind of the the uh, um, the, uh, um, the opioid questions for kind of shows the limits of you know FDA's standard thinking on approvals. You know, we had a story uh, just this morning from uh, um, Brenda about they're going to sort of uh, you know perhaps ask for the authority to uh, require a superiority uh, um, demonstration uh, um, if they if a company wants to get a new uh, opiate on the market, and that's kind of not the uh, approach they were uh, um, they're taking for many years, and uh, you know don't take uh, um, with other products, and sort of kind of this this whole question of sort of the the public health implications of what they are uh, what they are approving is not uh, um, something that they had uh, they had weighed heavily uh, um, as they sort of kind of uh, uh, you know help these products get out the door and uh, they have now sort of kind of have to uh, revisit that question and uh, you know I can sort of kind of uh, um, bring it back to our last topic perhaps and sort of kind of a uh, um, a bank shot kind of uh, um, kind of way they uh, they did not weigh. Uh, you know, with Agihelm for kind of the um, the uh, the impact of uh, you know perhaps letting a um, not highly efficacious uh, um, Alzheimer's product be uh, be widely prescribed in uh, um, in Medicare, and now they're uh, they're seeing for kind of what the um, what that's forcing is for kind of other actors in the healthcare system to uh, um, to do. So uh, um, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it uh, um, you know uh, you know could perhaps uh, uh, let them uh, you know, uh, let FDA, uh, think, uh, oh, well, it really wasn't our fault. It was those, uh, um, those, those uh, um, uh, 
you know, those uh, duplicitous folks at uh, um, uh, McKinsey uh, um, uh, tricked us. Uh, but, you know, if they do uh, kind of see that as an excuse, I think it's a, uh, a missed opportunity to take a broader view of, uh, um, uh, you know, their role in uh, um, in improving drugs. And obviously, sort of everyone, uh, as we were saying, should, should kind of stay in their lane. But uh, um, to the extent that they are now thinking about the public health implications of uh, um, opioids very broadly, uh, you know, perhaps that would uh, encourage them to do that with uh, um, with other products. And, you know, I think the uh, the folks at uh, um, FDA are uh, are smart and compassionate and the uh, uh, the broader they can uh, widen their lens, the uh, the better. The uh, Obviously, when they're doing that, they have to uh, make sure they clearly communicate with uh, um, with sponsors what they're up to. So sort of sponsors know what to do. And, uh, you know, if that uh, uh, creates a situation in which uh, um, promising products don't get to market because it's sort of kind of too uh, too difficult to uh, um, uh, sort of kind of move through the uh, the news for kind of uh, perhaps a more broadly drawn gauntlet, that would be a shame. So uh, this is not sort of kind of as simple as a uh, oh we just have to sort of kind of uh, you know think bigger. I think it's a very complicated question as to sort of how uh, you know each product sort of kind of in- in- impacts us all. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Well, that's all for this week. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this and previous podcast episodes on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Spotify by searching for Pharma Intelligence. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a review. Thanks again for listening to the Pink Sheets Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery with Matt Hobbs. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 